0: What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features David Adams. David is the Director of Social Emotional Learning at the Urban Assembly and a Commander in the United States Army Reserve. Now, I won't try to explain to you here what social emotional learning is. David does a much better job at that. But I'll just say this. David and his team at Urban Assembly help to ensure that schools offer staff and students the rel- relevant training to develop competencies that will positively impact their mental health and set them up for success in not only school, but also at work and in life. During our conversation, we discussed how David's work in such a crucial area impacts his views on the community, how he's raising his own children, and even how he leads in the military. So go ahead, take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. David, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm
1: doing great. Thank you. How are you?
0: Good. I must say, you might have the brightest smile of any guest who's ever been on this show. Well, you
1: know, I'm happy to do things and you're helping <laughs> me do those things. And I appreciate that very much.
0: I appreciate that the excitement is coming through and the enthusiasm. I can I can feel it. Great. So let's go. Shoot. Tell me, who is David Adams? All right. So I've been thinking
1: about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and David Adams is a guy who thinks that we can do better. Um, I think when we look at our communities, when we look at our, our families, when we look at our country, I keep saying to myself, we can do better. And I don't always know what that better is or how to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe in, in many of the things that we do when we see um, that this is not good enough. Um, and I'm the kind of guy who wants to make things better. And so that's who I am. That's what I do. I make things better, whether it's uh, through education, um, whether it's through our service, in terms of military, um, or being trying to best be, be the best dad I can be.
0: Awesome. So I want to unpack all of those things. Shoot. Um, but let's talk first at how you got there. How did you get to the point where you said things can be, be- better and I want to be a part of that? process or that journey?
1: I think when when you start to understand how and where we've come from mm-hmm. um, and you see people who have looked at uh, the world around them um, and who said that I'm not going to invest for me right now, right? Um, I'm going to invest for the next generation or the generation after that. You know, I think a lot about Maya um, Angelou's poem. Um, she says, uh, using the gifts that my ancestors made, I am the dreams and the hopes of the slave, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that says to me that even though things are good or or not so good, um, that weren't living the best kind of life that people dreamed of, right? Mm-hmm. That people went to bed thinking, man, one day I'm going to be that guy. Right. Um, and then they tried to invest in their communities and in their friends and their circumstances so that could happen. Think like about Harriet Tubman, who escaped slavery, right, and went back again and again and again to make sure that people came after her, mm-hmm. right? And they would have tortured her. They would have done unspeakable things to her. Uh, but it wasn't good enough for her that she got out, right? It was, it was that she had to to take people with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these are the things that kind of in, have shaped and inspired me. Uh, people have spent a lot of time reaching out to me um, and and giving me an opportunity to be successful. Um, and so I, I hope that my uh, my goal or my contribution in life is being able to is to, get to reach out and give other people that same opportunity um, and open their eyes with regards to saying, you know, however things are going, we can make them better.
0: Awesome. So do you feel like, you know, from your personal story, your childhood and your upbringing, those people were instrumental? In helping you see that there was a better way or there was more out there. What is your personal story? How does that play into this?
1: Oh, I like to think that I'm a I'm a person of institutions. Mm-hmm. Um I have institutions that shape me. Uh, my family, uh the military, um, camp. Um these these places have, have taught me to think beyond myself. Church. Mm-hmm. Um obviously my mom would be uh crestfallen if she I did not mention my <laughs> gotta church. Gotta mention right?
0: church yeah. gets so much church. shine on this podcast.
1: All right, all right, Sunday school, Mr. Hart. Um so yeah, I mean I think I think places like that taught me that what you give beyond yourself is is a true kind of a measure of a, of, a, of a man or mm-hmm. of a character. Um, so I think when you're moving through those spaces and you see how people are able to overcome their own situations um, and and always look around them and say, you know, here's five dollars to to assist, to a uh, to a person who needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here is here's some way that I can contribute to something that's bigger than myself, to the whole. I think when people find that purpose and, and recognize that the Whole is where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that by by investing in the whole, we're really investing in ourselves. Um, then there's always something to change, right? Absolutely. There's always something to make better. And I think when you realize um that people spent their lives uh, investing in you, even though they didn't know you, mm-hmm. right? Even though they never seen you. Um they gave their lives for you so that someone like you could be better than they were. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're motivated to do something for for the future generations too.
0: Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue into the work that you do professionally outside of your military service which we'll talk about as well but you are impacting the future generation what is your current Uh, position in your career?
1: Sure. So I I serve as the director for social and emotional learning at the Urban Assembly. Uh, We are a network of 22 public schools in New York City. Um, And in that role, um, I serve uh, as a head of a team of four um, who are dedicated to teaching students uh, the skills that they need to relate to themselves and relate to others, as well as see themselves as part of a community, make good decisions and solve
0: problems. Now, how did you get here? Because I'm sure it's not something that you start college and you're like, I'm going get into social emotional learning. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But like, how did you get into this role? What what led to this point?
1: Well, in, in, incidentally, mm-hmm. I, I did start college and, mm-hmm. and I, I was inspired by a professor, um, Professor Dr. Maurice, Maurice Elias, um, who spent his career thinking about uh, the role of psychology um, in education. So I've always been interested in the educational gap. Um, and I wasn't convinced that the educational gap was be- because black kids or brown kids uh, were not as smart as, as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that there are certain types of things that help us achieve. Um, and these things um, are not always kind of the, the X's and the O's and the A's and the B's. Um, these are the things that that we need to think about in terms of how we make decisions. Um, what are the kinds of ways that we solve problems? Um, and how do we be resilient um, against some of the challenges that a lot of our black and brown kids are facing? Right. Right. So I've been really interested in thinking about resilience um, through college and, and through my career. Um, and it turns out that social and emotional development is a big part of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to Maintain and develop good relationships is 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 part of what makes people effective. And so when you look at communities, it turns out that uh, resilience as a community um, tends to be focused on how people are relating to each other as well. So things like social cohesion, um, family structure, all those things are a really good um, indicator of whether or not people will be socially mobile. Um, so for me, uh, I had an opportunity to to sit in a class for Doctor Dr. Doctor He talked a little a lot about um, what resilience is, um, how we can develop. Resilience resilience in our youth, um, and how the education system can play a part in ensuring that our students, uh, graduate, um, with the ability to be successful. Um, so from there I had an opportunity, uh, to work in his lab. Um, and then I worked at a, a place called the Center for Social and Emotional Development and Education. Um, we focus on school climate and culture. Mm-hmm. And from there I spent about a, a year, um, working at the Health Emotion Behavior Laboratory, which was at Yale University. They sent me off to England, um, and I was evaluating, uh, social emotional learning programming as well as, uh, helping support uh, implementation. Um, Then I came back to New York City, where I was focused on uh, students with uh, emotional disturbance, um, classified uh, as emotionally disturbed, I should say, um, in our District 75. Um, One of the things that I think is interesting about that classification is that it's the most male of any classification, it's the most African-American of any classification, Um, and it's the most related to um, uh, circumstance, so more likely to have a single-parent family, more likely to come out of poverty, um, and more likely to have uh, challenges in terms of home life. So these are a group of kids in our city um, who are just like every other group of kids in our city, uh, but who had been classified because of their behavior. So I've been really interested in thinking about how we, how we focus less on what's wrong with those kids and, and build on what's right with those kids. So social emotional learning was an opportunity for us to work with these st- students um, and think about how we develop these types of skills that they need to be mainstreamed um, mm-hmm. so they get out of special education and be successful. Um, and from there, uh, I wanted to think more about how we get into general education um, rather than focusing on kids who are. Ready in special education and thinking about how do we get them out? Um, how do we work with our general education schools our, so that our kids can can stay there? Um, that led me to the Urban Assembly where I've been for about five
0: years. So what does your day-to-day look like now with all of that experience? And now you're in a position that is squarely within this area, wholly focused on social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. How does that play out um, in being a director of a team on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, it's a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot about wanting to make sure that people value this as much as they value um academics mm-hmm. so a lot of the work that we do um is is working to shift the system um whether that's policy in terms of working with albany um and and shifting their thoughts i'm moving from kind of voluntary guidelines or voluntary standards to uh, mandatory standards mm-hmm. in terms of social emotional development um that's working with partners like hunter college fordham university in terms of training teachers training social workers um to believe uh, uh, the importance of social emotional learning um so you don't have to kind of fight a rear guard action or you have to tell teachers who have all this stuff on their plate already that Mm -hmm. this is another thing. Um, And then it's about writing, uh, making sure that people have an opportunity uh, to understand the work that we're doing through writing, making sure students' voices are heard, teachers' voices are heard, principals' voices and stories are told. Um, Beyond that, it's working in the schools themselves and working with our schools to implement uh, social-emotional learning, um, integrate it, Mm -hmm. uh, and then evaluate it so that our kids have an opportunity, for example, to think about their own personal responsibility or their own decision making so they can set and achieve goals around that.
0: Sure. So within the urban assembly construct, it sounds as though social-emotional learning it's just integrated into the the curriculum as opposed to being a remediation method, which sounds like the case in some other school districts. So are these, is every student getting the benefit of this teaching?
1: Every student is getting the benefit of this teaching, right? So we all can improve Mm -hmm. on our ability to make decisions, right? We all can improve on our self-awareness or our self-management. We shouldn't have to wait for a student to get so uh, behind in these skills than to say, well, you know, let's make this a better uh, thing in terms of remediation. Um, We believe that every student uh, should have access to post-secondary success, mm-hmm. right? The Urban Assembly um, is is founded on this idea of social and economic mobility. Um, in order to do that, we need to make sure that our students have stable relationships and post-secondary access, right? So when we think about every student, um, it means that every student has the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, every student interacts in a way that reflects the types of ideas that we've developed with them. Um, every student has an opportunity to reflect on their own strengths and challenges and set goals so that when they leave our schools, they can develop effective relationships, they have the social skills that they need to be successful. They can read the social norms in a room um, and then conduct themselves in a way that's going to meet their goals. So I appreciate your point there. It's not about waiting for a student to fail and then saying, this is what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about giving every opportunity to every student so that they can develop themselves to be successful.
0: Right. And you hear like all these stories I know in other school districts where I'm from or people that I know personally where uh, children have issues that have presented themselves Mm -hmm. and things that need to be dealt with. And then at that point, Mm -hmm. they're on this Individualized learning plan, sure. right? Yeah. I forget what it's called. IP, uh, IP yes. Yeah. So they're they're on that at that point, but they're not given the tools just because they're in school, like in the way that you're talking about. And I think you brought up something really important when you said that often the kids that have been classified as emotionally disturbed are experiencing certain things in the home or living in poverty. And my first thought was, what about all those kids who may not be manifesting the signs yet? Right. So there's nothing to classify because Mm -hmm. they're essentially functioning in in the way that they're supposed to Mm -hmm. at this stage. But what happens when that manifests later or they get out and to adulthood and they don't have the necessary tools, which is why I find the urban assembly model so fascinating. I mean, you have kids who who are getting, who are being equipped now Mm -hmm. for skills that they will take into relationships, professional settings, advanced academia, et cetera, which is going to help them thrive in a way that unfortunately some of their counterparts in other school districts may not. So with that being said, you had mentioned this idea of social cohesion and all those things. When people are coming from communities um, where they experience trauma or poverty um, or certain social constructs and are not equipped in this way. How does that affect them into adulthood? What are the lasting effects there?
1: Well, I think this speaks a lot to um, the the research is called um, around ACES. Mm -hmm. um, um, And it's focused on what goes wrong when students are exposed to high levels of stress, toxic Mm -hmm. stress. Um, There's a lot of research now that's talking about what the impact of that uh, along Mm -hmm. students or child's developmental spectrum is. Um, So I think, I mean, the challenge here is that when people are exposed, to stress, um, and they don't have a context of loving relationships and supportive relationships. Um, that stress has an impact on their brain. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it makes them more likely to see threat where threat doesn't appear. It was, um, there's a threat awareness uh, kind of <laughs> research strand that talks about looking at neutral faces, mm-hmm. and and kids who have been exposed to a lot of stress um, tend to see anger, aggression in like and in, in transparently neutral faces. Okay. So if you took a kid who's been very stressed uh, throughout their life in terms of not having responsive parenting. Um, having difficult kind of circumstances and showed them a face and took a student who, or took a, st- a child who has been more supported, uh, that child is more likely to see a completely neutral face as something that's threatening them. Wow. Um, so a lot of these things kind of, um, create opportunities for, for kids to react in things, um, much quicker, um, with much less thought than they would have if they were exposed to less stressful environments mm-hmm. or who are exposed to stressful environments without supportive relationships. Right. One of the things that you see about resilience, um, it's not just an individual uh, kind of trait. So when you're looking at parenting, for example, kids who are raised in really stressful environments but with really responsive parenting um, tend to do okay or tend okay. to have less impact or less impacted by that stress than student, uh, kids without that uh, responsive parenting. And when we say responsive, we just mean, you know, parents who listen to their kids, um, parents who tend to use uh, discipline methods uh, that are focused on teaching the kids what, sh- what right looks like mm-hmm. versus... Um, you know, punishing them for what wrong looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are kinds of things that kids who are exposed to difficulty um, and trauma-informed kind of uh, context can still be successful in in, in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, to your question, it's a long-term impact um, that when kids are exposed to these pieces they're less likely to be successful, and you used a word here, and thrive. Mm-hmm. They're less likely to thrive. Um, and what we care about and what I care about is not just uh, getting kids to baseline. Um, I care about thriving. I right. care about Every kid being the best kid that they can be, meaning the most potential that they can have. Um, so, when we think about the Urban Assembly, we think about what are the conditions that we need in our schools so that every kid can thrive, even if they're coming from difficult backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And one of those conditions is teaching them about social and emotional skill sets.
0: Wow. So, I want to talk a little bit more about responsive parenting sure. because, especially for many of us who've grown up in communities of color, uh, there's a certain culture around how children are raised. Yeah. And it's it is about what you did wrong yeah. and you will be punished for what you, you, you've you done wrong. Sure. And children are seen and not heard. Yeah. No, you can't express what you're feeling. You know, I'm talking, just listen when I'm talking to you yeah. and, and you don't have a, t- a chance to respond. And if you do, you are being disrespectful. Yeah. So do you think there's a need for uh, education within the home and within the family dynamic, especially within the black family dynamic to sort of introduce some of what you're talking about in the home environment yeah. as well in tandem with what's going on in
1: school? Cool. so there's a concept here of good enough parenting mm-hmm. right that most parents you know are really really uh worried about messing their kid up for life right you know um and in fact most parents are good enough you mm-hmm. know unless you're cracking your kid over the head every day you know with a spatula most parents are good enough um, mm-hmm. to to raise kids in a way that they're going to be successful um it becomes more complicated as the stress levels increase mm-hmm. right so like as you get into higher and higher levels of stress um the quality of your parenting tends to be uh, more important in terms of those kids outcomes. Mm -hmm. So like if you're in like in a middle class neighborhood and you don't have a lot of issues in your life, uh, most parenting is going to be good enough. Um, So I think when we're thinking about our high needs kids in our high needs neighborhoods, they need to be exposed to high quality parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, And most parents are doing the best they can. Right. right? So like, um, you know, when a parent slaps or beats their kid or slaps them, um, they're trying to show them what the right thing is. Right. Mm -hmm. They're doing that because they're trying to show them what what right looks like. Um, And I think that the hard part of this is trying to work with parents or working with parents, um, to be more proactive in terms of how they're relating to their kids. And mm-hmm. there's simple things you can do, right? Like, um, how do you establish expectations in your home? Um, and do that before your, 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 your child makes a mistake, mm-hmm. right? So like, this is how we work with the oven. This is how we work with the toilet. This is how we work with these different things. How do we establish routines in the home? So that's, that, uh, kids are confident in what they should be doing. Um, it can move from a transition from one thing to another and effectively, mm-hmm. right? And then how can we identify what is the disconnect between what the student or what the child expects um, what we expect and what the child did so when we see a child act out we always think about it as a mismatch between what our expectations are and those child's actions right so when we talk about you know hey what was my expectation why was my expectation this and how did you do this then a the consequence is fine you know you can put them in timeout you can take away their toys you can say whatever you want to do um, but if you really want to change that behavior right you need to understand why did the child do that mm-hmm. what was that mismatch in terms of what the understanding was and what the child did. And then what can I do to help that child uh, be more successful in the future? I think, you know, most of our most of our parents um, are doing what they know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is when when you're using physical violence in terms of with your kids, um, th- the risk is that as kids, uh, as kids' behavior becomes more complicated, parents tend to say, well, I'm going to use more and more of the thing that I already know. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with like a snap, right? Well, that didn't work. Well, I'm going to start with a smack. OK, well, that didn't work. And then you just keep going up the length because you're using this theory of action that says, you know, if, if this doesn't work, then I'm going to increase the intensity. And that's right. where you get into that, that situation where, you know, our kids who are already in, in those high stress uh, situations, um, are now being exposed to a large amount of stress because they uh, uh, the discipline methods that are being used are just, are not effective in terms of working with them, um, and, and meeting them where they are.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think too, sometimes uh, from a cultural standpoint, it's this concept of if I don't, if I don't show you here yeah. consequences, you're going to get them out in the world yeah. and you're going to end up in juvie or jail or yeah. prison or what have you. And, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe in like slave syndrome, you know, post-traumatic, sl- all that stuff yeah. and, and how and it's just been passed down from generation to generation, yeah. which is why I'm so excited about the work that Urban Assembly is doing. But it also makes me a little sad that this is not widespread. Are you optimistic that this sort of cohesive approach to educating children, it can happen in our public school system and be something that's commonplace and not necessarily something that's just in this uh, coalition of schools?
1: Well, so I I came on and we talked about we can do better, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And within Urban Assembly, we can do better. Um, Within our New York City school system, we can do better. Within New York State and within our country. Um, And my job is to help us get to that better place. Mm -hmm. So I am optimistic because I am leading that charge and I want to make sure that every school in this country has an opportunity to teach these skills. Um, every student has an opportunity to learn these skills. Every parent has an opportunity to work with their kids around these skills. And then we'll see how people treat each other. We'll see how people resolve uh, problems and disagreements. We'll see how people uh, make decisions around, you know, whether or not to drink and drive or whether or not to go with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kinds of things that I think are, are important not only for our schools, for our lives. When we talk to our kids and I ask them, you know, when do you use these skills? They most often say with my brother, right? They're mm-hmm. Or my sister. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am you know, would was trying to resolve this disagreement. I remembered, you know, how to how to express my feelings more effectively. So there are people who think this is about touchy feely things. This sure. is about, you know, uh, I don't want to be hard. I just want to. And and to me, it's not about that. Um, to me, it's about life and death. It's mm-hmm. about. Having people make good decisions when they're under stress, when they're not under stress. Having parents working with parents to raise their kids in a way that they're going to be successful, um, so that poverty doesn't define us, right? Right. So that the the challenges that we face are not the things that that are the only thing that people understand about us. Um, there's a lot of people who've been successful um, who've come through difficult circumstances, and we're trying to replicate that for our kids.
0: And what what ages are the kids that you're working with?
1: We work with uh, middle schools to high schools, so okay. uh, I want to say twelve to 18.
0: Okay. So if someone is listening to this and they have, say, a 16 year old who they've been having behavioral challenges with or some issues with, and they say, This is something that I want to expose my teenager to, is it ever too late in the developmental process to introduce social emotional learning?
1: You ask such great questions. (laughs) Uh, It's never too late. Um, The most important thing that that I would say is that what we do is a lot more important than what we say. Okay. Right. So going back to our conversation a little bit about parents, um, one of the big challenges that parents have. Have, for example, is that uh, they want to, you know, curse up a storm around their kids mm-hmm. and then smack their kids when they hear their kids cursing and saying, don't do that, right? Um, your your child is going to respond to what they see, right? And so it's never too late to, to demonstrate or develop the social-emotional skills. As kids get older, it becomes more important to model it rather than tell it, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell a five-year-old um, you know, how to resolve a conflict. A 16-year-old is just going to watch how you deal with your spouse, right? right? And be like, I'm going to do that mm-hmm. or not. Um, so I think as we get older, uh, we need to be thinking about how we model these things mm-hmm. um, and make sure there's a consistency between what we say and what we do.
0: Awesome. So since you mentioned a spouse, I'm going to shift gears a little bit sure. uh, because one of the recurring themes with in my own conversations with friends and people that I know and just in the media is around black love and sure. relationships and yeah. some of the dysfunction there. And yeah. Can black men make it work with black women? Yeah. We're all coming in with all of our baggage and trying to build something. Yeah. Do you think the lack of social emotional learning has played into the dynamics in black relationships?
1: I, I think, I think black relationships um, have a challenge in terms of how many men are available to women. Um, I think that the education level of women um, uh, as, as compared to the education level of men uh, creates a pool um, by which there's a lot of competition for men. Mm-hmm. And I think when you create a pool of competition for women over men, um, then behaviors are start to be linked to that competition. So the stock of men go up, the stock of women um, go down. So I think when when we think about values, um, mm-hmm. values are sometimes shaped by the circumstance and the, the situation. And I think what we see in our black community um, is that we have a circumstance where uh, black women are out earning black men. Yes. Um, and there's not enough black men anyway, in terms of people who are in the, in the pool of employable men who are making a, a living, um, that makes it so that there's a lot of options for black men. Um, as you probably know, black men tend to have a higher interracial dating, yes. um, than, than black women. So when you're looking at just the pool, um, I think it puts a lot of pressure. And I think this comes back to co- the, the concept of values, mm-hmm. um, what type of values that we have and how we're living out those values. Um, so I think every relationship benefits from people who can communicate their their needs and wants. Um, every every relationship benefits when people are able to manage themselves effectively, mm-hmm. um, take responsibility, and make decisions. Um, I think with with regards to our relationships and our community, I'd like to see I'd like to see us be more willing to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see us be more willing to take responsibility in terms of what people are bringing to the table. Um, and I think as we increase the responsibility of our men um, and push them to greater responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, then we'll see that they're better partners. Um, I think that, I think that black women, uh, are great partners. Um, I think that they are what drives our community. It Mm -hmm. it keeps our community together, keeps our churches together, keeps our politics together. Um, and I think if we could just come to a place where black women and black men are are looking at each other for what they're both bringing, Mm -hmm. um, rather than kind of a, a view, uh, that's more idealized, um, then I think our relationships will be stronger, but certainly the, uh, the impact of single parents in our community um, is has an impact on the social and emotional development of our kids um, when you look at boys versus girls for example uh, boys tend to be a lot more sensitive to single mm-hmm. parenthood than girls um, in terms of their behavior uh, and family dysfunction tends to impact boys uh, to a greater rate um, and it shows up in behavior um, same thing with poverty right so boys tend to be more sensitive to being to living in higher levels of poverty than girls mm-hmm. um, and then again the the impact of that shows up in in behavior so boys I think in general tend to be more more sensitive to dysfunction um, and 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 it shows up in the types of juvenile kind of um, justice linked activities, uh, behavioral activities um, that I think should give us pause uh, when we think about what we're trying to do with our families, right? So I think when we think about our families and why we have our families and what we're trying to accomplish, um, I think we need to think beyond our individual needs and think about the, the whole back to the conversation we right. had before.
0: And I, I find it interesting that you said pushing Black men into greater responsibility, ironically there's been a clip that's been circulating the last few days John Gray famous pastor um, who was on a talk show or something with women hosts and this clip has now gone viral because he spoke to and I'm paraphrasing how his wife essentially had to grow him up yes. in a way and and he said he came, he married someone who was two sizes too big and yeah. he had to grow into the marriage um, and he was praising her in a sense for being a covering and pushing him into greater however it has drawn a lot of ire a yeah. lot of black, backlash online especially amongst Black Twitter, yeah. um, you know, because it's shining a light on this concept that Black women always have to do the work and yeah. they have to grow men up and they, you know, people want a mother and, and not a spouse. And we were talking about it here, the crew and I, um, this morning to, to get an opinion, um, at what, what people thought. And I mean, I come from this school of thought that I don't want to raise anyone, yeah. but that's his marriage and that, that works for him. Do you think that sometimes the onus is placed on Black women uh, unfairly, like too much responsibility is placed on us to help a Black man? Become all that he can become?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, But I also think that that's what it takes to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's just black women. I think our black community has to raise up our men. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, like, when you look at, for example, the difference between how boys are in school and girls are in school, Mm -hmm. right? You'll see about a 15% graduation gap, right? Um, In terms of boys and girls, right? Uh, Boys and girls are not the same, and they don't act the same. Um, And girls tend to have a greater propensity towards responsibility at younger ages True. than, than guys do. Right. Um, and so when I say that, I mean that, that in my experience, men will meet the expectations that are put upon them. Okay. Um, and so when we raise the expectations and say, Hey, it's your, it's your responsibility to do these things, uh, then people will, and men will meet those expectations. Um, is it fair that people have to do that? You know, I feel like it's, it's a question of, is it fair that there are a lot of black men in prison?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, no, but that's the case of so what are we going to do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. So to me, what can we do to make this better? My unit of analysis is not necessarily black men or black women, it's a black family, okay. right? And so when I say, what are we doing with our black family, then it becomes, you know, what is the outcome here? Is it fair on one more one uh, person versus the other person? Maybe or maybe not. But if our outcome is stable families that allow our kids to be successful, um, then that to me is worth the fairness or unfairness of the situation.
0: Okay. And you are married with children. I right? am. Yes, eight years. Eight years. Congratulations. I mean, because this day and age, if you can make it past the seven-year itch, it is commendable is that so yes Bang. so how has or or has your professional experience and your training informed the way you've approached marriage and family
1: so you know I I, I care a lot about expectations mm-hmm. um I care a lot about when when my wife and I were on our honeymoon uh, I set up an opportunity for us which she didn't appreciate mm-hmm. uh, you know and it was like a would you rather stay home or would you rather that I work and mm-hmm. there were like these kind of series of forced forced choices that um, like, I could stay home and take care of the kids or you can make all the money. Like, what would you prefer? She was like...
0: So it was an all or nothing. Yeah. Okay.
1: Because because when you do all or nothing, you get what people's actual preferences are. If you okay. let them go in the middle, then they're always like, well, you know, sort of, sort of. Um, But she she preferred that I would work and she would stay home. That's okay. not what she does. We both work, right? Uh, But then when I have to work very hard and I'm not home and then I can't uh, be as good of a husband or be as good of a father as I want to be, um, it's because... I'm holding down that side of the the house, right? Um, and that's how she would prefer it, right? Uh, she would not prefer it the other way around. Um, so for me, I just think that, I think the the things that I learn about how we communicate, mm-hmm. um, how we set expectations, how we work through differences, um, how we express ourselves has helped uh, to just work through conflict um, to set up expectations. So we're not living in an idealized world, mm-hmm. right? We're living in the real world where there's real mortgages to be paid and right. real cardinals to be taken care of, um, real kids to be put up, uh, in terms of put it in, in bed at night. Um, and I think that helps us to work through conflict and difficulty um, with my kids, you know, as my wife, as my partner, she's been great and um, working together in terms of setting up schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a bedtime routine. Um, you know, our kids have uh, three values in our home, respect, responsibility, and resilience. Um, and they, they, they manage to think through those different things like respect is please and thank you. Respect is listening to the first time. Responsibility is cleaning up after yourselves. And so we spend a lot of time reinforcing those things with like lollipop
0: and things like that. And how old are they? Six and seven. Wow. Six, six, five and six. So they're learning about resilience already? Yeah. <laughs> five and six. We'll go with that. I yes. think that's the right age.
1: It changes every year and uh, it's, it's taking me off guard.
0: That's what happens as they get older yeah. year after year. Yeah.
1: Um, but Yeah, no, they learn about resilience. They mm-hmm. learn about calming down um, You know, when they're upset. Uh, they learn about being respectful even though you're angry. Um, they learn about uh, in terms of resilience, uh, giving it all you got, right? We use that ad- to Nothing working your hardest, mm-hmm. um, so our, we use those things to frame going back to the conversation before when we have to correct our kids. You know, was that really respectful? Well, they understand what respect looks like, mm-hmm. so they can identify the gap between what they did and what, and what our expectations are. Was that really resilient? You know, especially when terrible twos come in, and right? Urine, you know, blah. Um, just working with them, breathing, calming down. You know, the difference between how you feel and how you act. I can feel upset, I can feel angry, but I have to be respectful, mm-hmm. right? And that's a big deal for people and uh, it's particularly for our kids, right? You can feel however you want and that's, that's okay. Uh, but you still need to be and show respect to to your mother and to your father and to your family.
0: So it sounds like you've found a way to effectively parent without physical harm. We try. You try. Right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we care about teaching our kids, uh, what they need to do and what mm-hmm. they need to be. Um, so we don't really focus on uh, physical discipline in our home. Um, you know, the root word of discipline is disciple. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means to teach, right? So when I think about how we shift and teach our kids, um, what they need to know to be successful. That's my job. Um, my job is to produce kids who can go out in the world and be successful. Um, I'm not doing my job, um, if they don't know right from wrong, mm-hmm. um, or if they think that the only way to solve problems is using their hands, right? Um, so we talk about, you know, how can we solve this problem? Whether it's, uh, you know, ice cream that fell on the ground mm-hmm. or homework. Like, How can we solve this problem? Right. Or the brothers t- took something. Um, so the extent that I think that we focus on solving problems uh, and using our minds and, and our words, um, I think that that my kids are going to be prepared to go out in the world and, and solve the same kind of problems that they have to solve at their house.
0: That's awesome. And you are in the military. as yes. well. What branch of the military do you serve? I am an
1: army uh, engineering officer. How long? I've been in a reserve for 17 years.
0: 17 17- years years? Yes. Wow. So I would, I would dare to say most of your adult life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: I would dare, dare to agree.
0: Oh, you got a baby face. So um. So what role, you said you are a... I'm
1: uh, a uh, engineer officer. Engineer so officer. Yeah, so I, I
0: remember the first time that we spoke, you had been up yeah, the I was night before. Yeah, in South
1: Carolina. <laughs> in, and uh, we were, I run a um, basic training company for Joe Harden. So uh, essentially, our job is to socialize mm-hmm. civilians into soldiers um, through basic training. Okay. So, uh, that's where I was when we, we were talking. I was running with his uh, trainees.
0: So, you know, when we think of military, we think of rigid, right? Literally militaristic. It's all about schedules and being regimented. Yeah. There is no room for emotion in it. But have you been able to utilize some of the skills that you have in your your day job, for lack of a better term, in your military service and training these recruits? Yes. In
1: what way? Well, I mean, look, the military is all about cooperation, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's just a big team. Uh, The best teams are the teams that work the best with each other and who have roles that people are comfortable with, Mm -hmm. right? And how do you work together? You got to communicate, right? So here's an example of how we do that in Army. Um, You know, uh, let's say we have a long movement and people aren't getting along. Um, If it's five miles, we give them really heavy stuff. We give 20 people, you know, uh, a a fake dummy for 160 pounds Mm -hmm. and say, you got to move it five miles. Um, There's only two options, right? You can communicate and figure it out and everybody can take turns carrying it or you can yell at each other for Mm -hmm. five miles. Well, the people who take responsibility do most of the work. Um, so the, the military sets up situations to teach people how to work together. Um, and people who have the skills are more able to 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 maximize those situations. Mm-hmm. And people who struggle with them um, learn them through our corrective action where you're looking at it and you're saying that 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 platoon moved this dummy, you know, 10 miles, you moved it 25 feet. Mm-hmm. Right. Why? Right. Well, because everybody was arguing the whole time or because somebody in the back didn't want to carry the dummy. Um, and that's going to fail. Uh, it's going to give you a fail. It's going to give you a fail on a mission and training. It's going to give you a fail fail in real life. So to me, the military is just about teamwork. Um, it's about working with each other to accomplish a mission. Um, and we work with each other better when we have better relationships, when we have better communication skills, when we're be, be better able to manage ourselves and, and solve problems. Um, so we work with our trainees by creating circumstances by which they hopefully figure that out by mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and then we issue corrective action to motivate them to figure it, them figure that out by themselves um, when they're struggling with those kinds of things that help the team be successful.
0: Awesome. Now, in the reverse of that, when I meet someone who's been in the military and has had you know long-standing service, I picture someone who's very regimented in their civilian life as well. Like up really early, you know, almost like an automaton who gets things done. They're very productive. You know, that whole we get more done before yes. you know whatever time than the than everyone it's gotta
1: else. Be like nine o'clock. <laughs> you get up very early. Yes, That's true. Yeah. Do
0: you feel that your military service and experience helps you be productive in your regular life as well?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say yes. Um, there's couple of things I think the military has helped me to do. Um, first is set, uh, create plans, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then create backup plans and then create contingency plans, right? So the military is really big on planning. Um, and so uh, the military uh, approach to to creating plans um, has helped me to think about how I arrange uh, big kind of projects. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I think that's been really helpful is, is communication channels. Uh, military cares a lot about how communication channels are, are constructed mm-hmm. um, because communication is what creates uh, adaptability, right? If you can communicate in a battlefield, then you can adapt to the enemy Um, you can be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think in our, my civilian career, I think a lot about how we set up communication channels, how people talk to each other, how information flows up and down um, a hierarchy um, and how decisions get made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, I think what the military does a really good job of um, is defining roles um, and defining how those roles play a part into the larger whole, right? So you could be a pencil sharpener, right? But I'm going to explain to you how your sharpened pencil helps him. Him, sign his name, which helps us, you know, succeed in this far off mission in this far off land. So I think uh, the military does a good job at really thinking about what kinds of roles that we need to have to be successful and then making sure people understand how their small roles contribute to the larger whole. And I try to replicate that a little bit in, in the work that I do in Urban Assembly and other places.
0: Love it. Now I'm going to ask a question that I didn't plan to ask. Shoot. But since we are talking about military, I want your opinion. Okay. You know, we're, we're living in a day and age where there's a lot of talk around in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, players need kneeling and protest yeah, of sure. police brutality and the treatment of black and brown folks in the states. And somehow that has morphed into this idea that you either got to support our troops and our military and, you know, support our flag and country or kneel, uh, that those things are not mutually exclusive. exclusive. Yeah. What is your view on players who kneel as it relates to this idea that they're not supporting our troops or being patriots? I
1: don't think the two have anything to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think within the military, uh, there's certainly a, a high that is placed on our flag as a mm-hmm. symbol of our nation. Um, when when military members are killed, um, the flag is placed on a coffin, folded up and given to the widow. Um, that is a, a specific kind of context, which is in the military, right? Um, and in America, if you're not in the military, you're not necessarily having to to follow the rules of that context. Right. Um, in America, you can do whatever you want with the flag. Um, I do know that Colin Kaepernick, for example, uh, refused to stand up for, at first, and uh, it was his teammate who was a special forces veteran. Right. Um, who talked to him about how that could be perceived and how kneeling was a sign sh- of respect um, but that could still get his message across. So uh, it seems confusing to me that, that he would not, uh, he would start standing up, start kneeling in order to, to show respect to those mm-hmm. people who had deep, deeply held values around the flag and then was criticized for kneeling. Um, so, I you know, I think it's an opportunity to criticize people for um, bringing attention to uh, police brutality, um, to the way that black men Um, brown men are profiled. Um, and I think it's unfortunate. I think this, this is a country where our flag um, gives us the freedom to make mm-hmm. the decisions that we want to make. And I think that Colin Kaepernick um, made an effort uh, to show respect. Um, and I think that in every other context, when you kneel for the queen, when you kneel for prayer, um, kneeling is a sign of, of, of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they've made this about, you know, politics um, when it could have been about how we do better with regards to how our police and, and, our, and, our, and our community are interacting. And I think we can do better.
0: Absolutely. So tell me, I want to know about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day.
1: Okay. So I've been thinking about this, you mm-hmm. know, um, and uh, I think about being extraordinary through the eyes of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do that's extraordinary for my kids uh, is I help them um, just to be better people, right? So if I come home after, you know, some time away from the military and I bring them a toy, um, they're really into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm playing Halo or Injustice and I'm I'm beating people. Like my kids are really, really excited about that. Um, and so I think about fatherhood as this extraordinary thing mm-hmm. because it's like, I'm not as extraordinary as my kids think I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I think if I could be as extraordinary as they believe that I am, uh, that I could be a better person every day. Um, so I think for me, just like the extraordinary thing is, is trying to be a good father, um, and working to live up to this kind of, uh, view or image that my kids have of me. Um, and I think as I get older, uh, and as they get older. Or, you know, that image is going to go away. Um, but I hopefully I get a little bit closer to that uh, and they can be proud of, of the work that I've done um, and feel a sense that, you know, they're, they're kids, to people who care about them and they're prepared to, to do great things in this world.
0: Did your father play a similar role in your life? Do you feel like you idealized him as well?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I do think, you know, uh, when you're a kid, um, everything that your dad does is really cool. Mm-hmm. So whether that was canoeing, he would teach us canoeing, he taught us how to change a tire. I taught us basketball. Um, our, my dad took us to karate. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think the extraordinary thing about being a father um, is about doing the best you can for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could imagine how your kids see you, and then like get half of that way, mm-hmm. then you're like you're, you're doing you're doing everything you can to be a good guy. Um, and I think when you're struggling, uh, one of the, when I struggle, one of the things I think about is like, well, you know, how do my kids see me? How will my kids feel about me? Um, my dad told me when he was going to grad school. He went to grad school when he was older, I think in his 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, he started struggling and he thought to himself, you know, I push my kids every day to do well in school. How would they see me if I, if I don't push myself? Right. There? So like, that's the extraordinary thing for me. You know, like we've done a really long rock marches in the army. Um, and, and I think about like, man, how am my kids seeing me? You know, mm-hmm. if I were to fail this, you know, they still think I am great. They come up with all sorts of excuses. Don't get me wrong. Cause when I'm losing in Halo. They're like, wow, that guy's cheating. You know, <laughs> the, the controller is not working. Don't worry, pop. You're still cool. Um, uh, and sometimes in basic training with our, uh, our young men. They want to quit. Um, we call up their parents or their dad and mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, don't tell me you want to quit. Tell him you want to quit. Um, and what do you think about that? So I just, the most extraordinary thing I feel like I've ever done is is try to be a good dad um, and try and live up to my kids' expectations um, and, and hopefully put them out in the world that appreciates what they can offer.
0: That's great and honorable, especially within our community. Uh, but I do have a follow-up question. Sure. What do you say to the student that comes to you? Says, Mr. Adams, I don't have Dad, I, I don't have anyone at home to help show me how to be a man, or I don't even know who my dad is. That's not your experience. You can't relate to me. What do you say to, to that young man?
1: I mean, we we used to run a, a young men's group um, mm-hmm. for one of our schools, um, and we used to ask them what manhood was, and people said responsibility, taking care of your business, having a job. Um, how many people have had their father or have had a man in their life reflect that? Mm-hmm. Um, and not enough people said 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 so they did um Not enough people said that they did. So to me, I think when kids come to me um, and and they're struggling with that area, uh, there's two things that I think about. Um, One, I think about making sure that our gangs don't get them because I think gangs try and recreate that experience for our Mm -hmm. kids, recreate that sense of purpose and identity and male kind of um, development uh, with aggression versus responsibility, right? And they're trying to use our kids, they use our kids to do their bidding rather than lift them up. Um, And the other thing I say is that, you know, you have responsibility to be the thing that you never had. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be here. You know, I like that. There's a lot of people here who, um, who are willing to mentor, you know, obviously Brandon frame is doing a great job with the black man. Ken. Yes, absolutely. Um, there, there's mentor organizations within our schools. Um, but we know what we're missing. You know, we know what it feels like to, to not have somebody teach you the kinds of things. Um, and what are we doing so that that's not my, your kid's experience? Mm-hmm. What are, what are you going to do to make sure that that's not the experience of your son? Um, and we're replicating that same sense. I've had, a lot of people give me excuses in that way um, say you know well I never knew that never right. felt it and now it's my job to get that out there there's a lot of people out here who are saying I want to make that better like I want to do better by that if not my dad um, then somebody else who cares about me mm-hmm. um, but I think it's it, it's surprising to me what people can do when they know that other people believe in them right um, and the New York City Department of Education has a, a initiative called NYC Men Teach um, which is focused on bringing men of color into New York City Department Department of Education in terms of teaching mm-hmm. um, the importance of positive black real male. Um, images, I think, can't be overstated. Absolutely. Um, you know, Brandon would say, uh, I want our kids to have the same confidence in terms of being a lawyer, um, an entrepreneur, a, an astronaut, um, as they, they say when I'm going to be a basketball player mm-hmm. uh, or a football player. And our kids, if you ask them, they are like, you know, I'm going to be a basketball player in the NBA. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to do the football thing. <laughs> and if that doesn't work out, I'm going to be a Grammy winning album. You right. know? And, you know, if that doesn't work out, you know, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sell a couple million in terms of dancing yes. or MTV um that's just because those are the role models they say they mm-hmm. know those those stories they know those those profiles um, and we can do as, as good of a job at putting out other kinds of profiles for our kids and giving them confidence in that same way um confidence in terms of from woman to men that you can take care of a family that mm-hmm. you can get educated that you can be successful um but then I think our, our our guys will be okay
0: awesome so what's your dream for urban assembly where do you see this going and because I think it's more than just a school. I think it's a movement mm-hmm. and something that can expand beyond just this one educational system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's your dream in, in a perfect world?
1: In a perfect world, I think people will come to our schools mm-hmm. um, and see how we work with our kids um, and believe that poverty is not the most important thing that you need to understand about a student's destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should come to our schools, um, see how teachers interact with kids, how kids interact with each other, um, and recognize the potential that's in our kids to be, successful. Um, I think the educational reform movement um, has has focused a lot on test scores um, and rightly so in terms of being able to be successful in reading and writing mm-hmm. but I wish that when people come to our schools they can see that all the reading and writing in the world is not going to help us if we can't make good decisions if we can't solve problems, if we can't relate to each other effectively, if we can't form and, and, and maintain stable families mm-hmm. um, these are things that are going to allow social mobility in our community these are the things that are going to allow us to be successful um, and these are the things that are going to make it so that social mobility is not just taking one kid out of their neighborhood and moving them to the hills, right? It's about transforming the neighborhoods because of the way people treat each other and react to each other. So I know, and I'm recognizing all the things that are creating some of these circumstances mm-hmm. what we're up against, um, how we've gotten to this place. Um, but I believe it's within ourselves to, to fix that. Um, I can't, we can't look outside of ourselves to fix the things um, that people outside of ourselves have imposed, right? So right. it's within our own power to to do something uh, and whatever is in with our own power, I think we need to do.
0: Would you ever run for office? I
1: uh, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> depends on what office. I feel like it's office. a platform
0: like that's coming together here but okay. Yeah, so. sure.
1: No, mm-hmm. I, I take that back. No, I, you know, it depends on what office. I think it's it's. I care about making a difference, you know. Um, I think, as I said, we can do better. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people out there, it's particularly in the p- current political sense, who don't think we can do better. Mm-hmm. All right. They see people screaming at each other, yelling at each other, calling each other names and they say we can't do better. Or they see people, black people each other, shooting each other in the streets and say, oh, we can't do better than that, right? Or we see uh, homes that are that are led um, and, and and they're broken down in terms of how people are relating and they say, we can't do better than that. And I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that somebody one day was in chains and looked up in the stars and said, if not me, then my son, if not my son, then their grandson. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they had optimism, right, what, what, what's our excuse? Right. You know, if they could believe and with no government behind them, with, with people getting whipped and Chained and killed. That there was something better than this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then why are we so you know wrapped around the axle around uh, what the challenges that we face are? So
0: right. And I think there are parents who maybe in other communities or school systems who want better for their kids mm-hmm. and say, you know, I didn't have it. Maybe there was dysfunction mm-hmm. within my family dynamic growing up, but I want better for my children. I'm not getting the support and ancillary resources that I need from their school. Yeah. But I want to figure this out on my own. Can you direct those families somewhere when they don't have access to? So- social, emotional learning through their school system or where they could start just to get educated and start to implement some of these teachings or ideas into their homes?
1: Yeah, sure. I think, um, I think number one, um, people who make noise get, get responsive, Mm -hmm. right? You know, uh, people who vote get responded to, you know, old people vote. That's why they never cut social security, right? Right. Um, So when parents care about something and they come to their school and they say, I care about this and they go to the town board meeting and and they say, I care about this and the schools will respond. Um, with regards to outside of there I mean there are a lot of such places where kids can learn these skills mm-hmm. sports is a really good example of that the question is can we be explicit about it right, right. as opposed to saying you know this is about winning uh, saying it's about learning how to dis- uh, resolve conflict mm-hmm. right um I think when we look at our, our church um, and our and our civics institutions um, they're another place where people learn about how to, to get along and work uh, work with each other um, and I think there's a lot of uh, things like the YMCA Boys and Girls club that are being more explicit now in terms of what their mission is. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying youth development, they're saying, you know, I want to produce a child who can solve problems. I right. want to produce a, problem who, a child who looks at decisions that he can make or she can make um, and makes the one that's most in line with their goals and their values. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we can be a little bit more explicit in terms of our value systems and, and not be afraid of that, right? Like, what do we value? What do we care about? What are we willing to sacrifice for right. in our homes and our communities? All right. Then we're going to see people start to make decisions that are in line with those values and then we're going to see people use that language um, and then have access to people who care about those kinds of things.
0: Absolutely. And whose story do you draw inspiration from? You know,
1: I I am a big fan of John Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's kind of cliche um, because John Lewis uh, said, you know, you've given us the law. I'm going to test it with myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So JFK had passed this, the inter- interstate kind of bus travel uh, law that said it must be desegregated. Right. Um, and then John Lewis just got on the bus and was like, well, let's let's do this thing. You right. know, the law says I can do this, um, and they they took him and they beat him, and, and he got up and he did it again. And that wasn't for John Lewis, right? That mm-hmm. was for you and that was for me. Right. Um, and he made them follow through with their ideals. He made them uh, uh, live the things that they said. And I, I take I take I take I take a lot of um, a sense of, of pride in that, mm-hmm. you know, and inspiration. I, I feel like the John Lewis's of the world are the people who force people to make the change, um, and not just talk about it because the government said, yeah, that's true. But he got out and he put his own body on the line to make that happen. So I like to think about myself uh, not having to get my skull cracked in, um, but pushing us to be better than mm-hmm. um, than we are today and pushing us to, to reach the ideals that, you know, our community set, Absolutely. our set, our country set.
0: And instilling that in the next generation yeah, as well. It's about apathy. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's not about
1: right or wrong. It's it's about apathy. You know, Tupac will talk about hopelessness. This, right. this, this sense that I can't do better than what I'm at. Um, and if we can convince people that we can, we can do better. This doesn't have to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll do better and we'll do better. So I think if we could uh, we could just kind of get every single person who doesn't feel like it matters, they matter, their story matters, and show them that there's a change to be had mm-hmm. and each person has a part to play in that change, then we'll, we'll continue to make this place a better place to be.
0: Do you think part of it though is, you know, we have a generation of people of color who are high Highly educated, mm-hmm. prestigious jobs, mm-hmm. making strides. And when they think about what it took for the generations behind us to implement change, having a fear that they're risking it all. Reputation, job. You know, if you, you think about like the bus boycott. Yeah. We basically said as a people, no matter how long it takes. Right. We are not riding, the but we're going to carpool. We're going to right. walk. We're going to make it happen. If we got to leave for work four hours in advance yeah. to get there on time, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And there is a segment of the population who is operating like that right now. Right. Right. Working towards causes, making it happen, boots on the ground. But I think sometimes for the professionals, quote yeah. unquote, uh, black folks, we think about the John Lewis's of the world, getting right. thrown in the back of paddy wagons and cracked over the head and then having a record as a result. Yeah. We think about what we're risking. Yeah. By taking those steps. Do you think that's a valid concern? number one. And number two, do you think that people are just not thinking about the other ways in which you can implement change that don't involve standing on the front lines and getting arrested and hogtied and all that stuff?
1: I think um, we need to be tapped into something larger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way, I think, to, to create purpose in life. Um, these are the same conversations that I'm sure went through to people in terms of SNCC and SCLC mm-hmm. and AAS. I mean, these are the same conversations I'm sure they had. And maybe they had the less to lose because they weren't, you know, in the highest echelons of society, mm-hmm. just in the black community. Um, you know, but if it's good for them, good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was good enough for a person uh, to have to risk himself um, to help desegregate the South or to help integrate schools in the North, which is still a huge challenge. Right. Um, and then it's good enough for us to do the same. I think what, where I see is people are tired. I think people believed that, um, you know, the gains that were made and the sacrifices would kind of propel the momentum for like forever, you know, right. like fifty. Thousand years from now, people will still be talking about the the March on Washington mm-hmm. as a thing that that uh, that helped our, our community uh, maintain those gains, and and there have to be people who are willing to do that every generation. Right. Um, every generation, there has to be somebody willing to stand up and say, you know, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to make sure that our community lives the values that our country has said that it's about.
0: Awesome. So, what's on the horizon for David Adams?
1: Well, I mean, working working now on making sure that. In New York City, uh, we have a group called SEL for New York, um, mm-hmm. making sure that every student in, in in New York City and in New York State have an, has an opportunity to learn social emotional skills. Um, we're making sure we're looking to advocate in terms of policy to make sure that these things get funded mm-hmm. um, within school systems um, to make sure that students have standards of learning about personal responsibility, learning about decision making, learning about social skills, um, in the same way they learn about reading, math, and, and science. Um, and we're looking to make sure that our parents in our communities, um, have an opportunity to uh, to integrate these things into the work that they're doing with their kids at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you made that point before. Um, our parents work really hard um, in our communities. You know, many people are working two jobs, right? Um, and they're not doing when they're when they're struggling. It's not because they don't care. Um, they're struggling because they're tired. Um, they're struggling because they're burnt. So, right. what are the things that we can do for our parents uh, to make it easier for our kids uh, to learn and to develop um, and to to break the cycle so that the next generation going to be a little bit more successful than the generation that we have.
0: Awesome. And where can people learn more about SEL for New York?
1: Oh, uh, so if you contact me at dadams at urbanassembly.org, um, we will get you that information. Um, or you can go to our Urban Assembly website at urbanassembly.org um, and then I can get you the information on, the, on that. There's also SEL for U.S.
0: So there's at a national level there too. There's a national mm-hmm.
1: level. Yes. Um, now this is not coming out well, but uh, yeah, that there's like a, uh, you go there and then you come to us, and it's a whole thing.
0: Got it. Um, so that's what Google is for, though. They yes. can look it up. SEL for US. Yes. And yes. then drill down to SEL for New York. Yes. And can people find you on social media? They can.
1: I'm on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. on Facebook. Um, but I don't have a Twitter handle. I got to do better with that.
0: We had someone on for Twitter earlier, and she made sure to say people need to get on Twitter.
1: <laughs> oh if people have said that to me, and I will do. I'm that.
0: I'm terrible because, too.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm better than that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm
1: better than that. I, I gotta, I gotta reach that, that ideal. But um, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always available in terms of, of those opportunities and um, contacted through their Urban Assembly website. Um, the There's a commission, a national commission on social, emotional and academic development. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be releasing our report in January um, with regards to our push to make sure that every kid across the country has an opportunity to learn these types of skills and competencies.
0: Awesome. And are there tactical ways that people can support the mission?
1: Absolutely. I mm-hmm. think um, I think making sure that when you meeting with your principal, um, when you're meeting with your superintendent, um, you're asking them what you're doing to develop the whole child um, you're asking them what we're doing in terms of character development. Um, what is the school's plans around social emotional development? Um, ask asking your teachers, uh, what can they tell you about your, your child's social emotional mm-hmm. development? When they say, you know, he's reading well, his math is a little struggling. Uh, you say, that's great. That's really interesting. Tell me about how he's relating to other kids. Um, tell me how how he's solving problems. Um, tell me how he's managing his emotions. Right. Um, how well is he calm down when faced with challenges? How well is he concentrate on tasks despite distractions? So I think um, every person, parent has an opportunity here to use this language mm-hmm. and when they use this language schools are going to start to respond um, and we're going to go from a thing that you know uh you could be doing to help your kid to a thing that we all must be doing right. to make sure our kids are successful
0: well i appreciate that and i've appreciated this conversation oh, i thoroughly enjoyed it thank likewise. you for coming likewise. on hey i was very happy to be here Awesome. So to our audience, make sure, especially if you have children, do a little more research, learn a little bit more about social emotional learning. I feel like a lot of us could have used a little more of this growing up (laughs) as well, uh, both in school and at home and check David out, follow the work that he's doing. I, I think he could possibly run for office one day. I don't, I don't care what he says. I think it's possible in any event. And also remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care.